Is all the excitement, are we good, are we ready now? Now, now in our game, in this game we had, we had to examine uh, all the elements of the nativity picture, a nativity picture. And we're going to do something similar with another picture right now. Not a slide on the screen, but a, a word picture found in the Bible. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be in verses 5 through 11. And there we find this amazing picture of Christ, of Jesus. Not a picture of his physical appearance, but a picture of who he is, his essence, his nature, a picture of what he did, what he did for humanity, what he did for you and I. And so as we celebrate the coming of Christ as a baby into our world, like we did with the nativity picture, we're going to examine this word picture of Christ. And we're going to ask uh, uh, not ten questions, we're going to ask one question. One question that actually has four answers. One question, and the thing is, if you get the right answer to this question, if you trust the answers we find in the Bible, then you receive an eternal prize. Now the question we're going to ask is the title of a famous Christmas carol written in 1865, just after the Civil War, by a man named William Charlton Dix. Dix had been severely ill, and while recovering, he he sort of underwent a spiritual renewal, recovery uh, in his body and in his spirit, and this led to him writing this song. Dix said he was inspired by this image, this picture of visitors looking at Jesus uh, in the manger, And asking the question, who is this baby? Or or, what child is this? So that's the question before us this morning. And now we turn to the word picture found in Philippians 2, uh, 5-11. In verses 1-4, through just to give the context, the Apostle Paul is calling the the Philippians, the the church there, to live an unselfish life, a a humble life before God and before men. And to to bring his point home, he gives this picture, this example of Christ. He says, this is who Christ is. Uh, Be like Him. Let's begin by reading verses 5-8. through This is in your notes as well. It's the ESV, or you can look in your Bibles, or on the screen. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. He's saying this is possible to do because you're in Christ. Now you can be like Christ who, now the word picture, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, a thing to be held on to. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul's calling the Philippians and us to, to be humble, unselfish like Christ, to, to give of ourselves. And in so doing, he gives this picture of Christ. He answers the question, what child is this? And I want to point out four things about this child. Not just the child, but as it's Christmas, we're focusing on the child. Who this child was, who this child became, who this child was from all eternity. And first we see from eternity past, this child is God. Paul says, who though he was in the form of God. Now this word form 
can be a little misleading. The, the word is better translated, I think, as the NIV translated it, it as nature. He was, in his very nature, who he was, his essence, God. The author of Hebrews in chapter 1, verse 3 says, He, Christ, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. The child is the exact imprint of God's nature. The nature of God is the nature of Christ. Therefore, the child is God. Paul writes in Colossians 1.15, Christ is the image of the invisible God. By Him all things were created. The child is the image, the picture of God. God is invisible, but we see God when we see Christ. As Christ came into our world and He lived among us, there's this picture we have. Now, that's what God looks like. And in the beginning... Going back to the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, it was Christ doing the creating. Again, in Colossians, Paul says, in Christ, all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form. The child is fully God, 100% God. Jesus Himself testified to His divinity in John chapter 10, verse 30. He says, I and the Father are one. Several occasions, uh, he said, another occasion he said, I am. Like going back to Moses in the burning bush when, when God said, I am, and they tried to kill him for it. They knew what he was saying. He was equating himself with God. And if you read through the Gospels, you'll see that, that Jesus says these things, and then he backs them up. He backs what he says up with what he does. He, he shows that he has power over nature and disease and death. He calms storms. He tells the wind and waves to halt, to stop. He feeds 5,000 more with five loaves and two fish. He heals people of diseases. He raises people from the dead. And He even uh, forgives sin. So based on what the New Testament teaches, based on our, our passage here, based on Jesus' own words, it's clear that Jesus Christ is God. So as we celebrate Christmas, as we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, as we look at the nativity scene, as we see the, the little baby in the, the manger held in his mother's arms, never forget, the baby in the manger was and is God who chose to dwell among us. So first, the child is God. But he was also a child. Christ was not only 100% God, but he was also a human. The child is human. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Later down it says, the form of a, 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 a man. Again, the word form, better translated nature. Christ always had God's nature from eternity past. He had the nature of God. He's always been God. And then he took on a new nature. He took on the nature of a servant, a, a human. It's the most crazy thing ever. That God would become one of us. That God would become one of His creation. He had a physical body. He had physical needs. He got hungry. He got thirsty. He needed sleep. Don't believe the song. We didn't sing it. I don't think we've sung it before. I'm against it because it has this... No, I'm not totally against it. Anyway, don't believe the song Away in the Manger where it says, The little Lord Jesus, no crying He makes. Not true. Babies cry a lot. And he was a real human baby. In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, we read, And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. There was some growth. He learned to eat and to talk and to read and to write. 
He had emotions. He laughed and he cried. His heart was troubled at times. And he was overwhelmed with sorrow at others. I want us to see that Jesus was fully human. And therefore, He can fully identify with us, with you and with me. Never minimize His humanity. I think we often forget about We think, okay, now that He's back in heaven, it's, it's God. And, he's, and He is God. But never minimize that He's human also. Because if you do, then you miss the beauty of His ability to relate to you. To know you. In Christ, God is not far off from us. God is not uh, aloof. He's not this uh, in the sky just looking down on us. He's familiar with our struggles. He understands our temptations. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. He struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mark chapter 14, verse 36, we read, And he, Jesus, said, Abba, Father, Dad, all things are possible for you. So please, you could remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus asked his father, and in many ways was pleading with his father to remove the cup, the cup of the cross. He's sweating drops of blood. There was part of him that didn't want to face uh, taking on the cross. And I don't believe he was so concerned with the physical suffering that he would endure. He was concerned with taking on our sins at that moment when he said, my God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? He was taking on our sins and he didn't want to do that. He struggled with that. But he submitted to the will of his Father and he went to the cross. In Hebrews 4.15, the author writes about Jesus in this way. We should all memorize this verse for, for times of, in our struggles and, and in our pain. For we do not have a high priest, speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, Jesus was tempted all the way. You know, we're tempted, 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 and eventually we fail and we sin and we fall. Jesus was tempted all the way and he never failed. He never fell. He understands our temptations. I want you to think about the beauty of Christ's humanity as it relates to your own pain and your sorrow and your suffering, your weakness, your struggles in this life. I want you to see that this is not just a theological discussion about the humanity and the, uh, and the divinity of Christ. Okay, we could talk about that. That's in theology books. I want you to see the practical nature that it comes down to where we live. When you walk through grief and sorrow and pain, I want you to know that there is in heaven now at the right hand of the Father one who's able to sympathize with you in your weakness. One who knows your grief and your pain and your sorrow. One who gave His life for your sin. One who is like you yet without sin. So the coming of Christ is the coming of God. And the coming of Christ is the coming of a man. Now, when we put those two together, we get this, this perfect God-man. The child in the manger was 100% God, 100% human. I know that, that doesn't necessarily compute, compute mathematically, but theologically and for our sake, it's perfect. Because it was, the, it was only uh, Him, the perfect God-man. 
that could be who He was, that could do what He did. It was only Jesus who could then be our Savior. The child is the Savior. And being found in verse 8, Philippians chapter 2, and being found in human form, He humbled Himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He became obedient. That's where He said, not my will, but yours be done, Father. I'm struggling with this. I don't want to go to the cross. I don't want to take on this sin, but not my will, but yours be done. He became obedient to death. The perfect God-man paid the price for our sin. Christ in His humanity and His divinity was uniquely, He alone was qualified to be that substitute for our sins. Being fully God, born without a sin nature, and able to live a sin-free life. Therefore, He became that perfect Lamb of God that could take away the sins of the world. He alone, as God, was fully able to satisfy God's wrath, God's uh, divine wrath against sin. And being fully human, He was able to stand in our place. He became one of us that He might take the punishment that we deserved. On that first Christmas, as C.S. Lewis put it, the Son of God became a man to enable men to become sons of God. We need to always remember that this is why He came. As we celebrate His coming and the angels and the wise men and the shepherds and all of that stuff, as we celebrate His coming on Christmas, amidst the joy of His coming, uh, good news of great joy, the angel said, don't miss the purpose. Jesus came to die. If there were no cross, then there would be no Christmas. David Platt said this, realize that those sweet, tender hands in a manger wriggling around, were fashioned to one day have nails thrust into them. That those soft pink feet were unable to walk, were made so that one day they would walk up a dusty hill to a cross. That His precious head was formed so that one day soldiers would force a crown of thorns deep into it. That this baby, wrapped in swaddling clothes, was created so that one day soldiers would pierce it through with a sword and blood and water would flow. Jesus was born, was sent into our world by His Father to die on the cross. And why did He have to die on the cross? To be our substitute. To be that, as we talked about in Romans, that propitiation, that substitutionary sacrifice. The, the Apostle Peter, 1 Peter 2.24 writes, He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. There's a call to us there, isn't it? To, because He died for us, because we have His righteousness, we can live in righteousness. By His wounds we have been healed. Quoting the prophet Isaiah. The beauty of Christ's coming is completed by His crucifixion. We stand before God deserving death. But instead, Christ bears our sins. He takes them on Himself. And God gives us His righteousness. This is called, uh, uh, theologians, I don't, I don't know who made it up, have called this the great exchange. Christ takes our sin and we take His righteousness. Pretty good deal for you and I. So third, Christ is the Savior. But you know what? He's more than just a Savior. More than a get-out-of-jail-free card. The child in the manger is also the exalted Lord of glory. 
The child is the Lord. In the song, uh, What Child Is This?, which we're going to sing in just a few minutes, the answer to the question, he keeps asking the question, what child is this? And the answer comes back, this, this is Christ the King. Jesus, the child, is the King of kings, and He's the Lord of lords. This is really the heart of the New Testament. Read the New Testament. Over 750 different times, Jesus is confessed as the Lord. And at the heart of the Christmas story is that this child is the Lord over all things, over all people, over all entities. For all creation. In Philippians 2, 5-8, through we've saw that picture of, of Christ's divinity, Christ's humanity, Christ's sacrificial death on, for our sins. Then Paul, in verse 9-11, through he writes, uh, completing the picture, he writes, Therefore, because uh, Christ, God, became human and went to the cross for all humanity, God has highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalted Him because of what He did. Because of His willingness to go to that cross and die for us. God exalted Him in the Greek. That exalted literally means God super eminently exalted Him. Christ is exalted to a place uh, where nothing else is higher. He's not the greatest among other gods. He, he's the only God in His class. His name speaks of His authority. Jesus has the authority to save anyone who trusts in Him. He has the power to save you and I, you and me from our sins. And He has the power. He deserves the power. He's given the power by God to rule our very lives. There are some who claim Jesus as Savior. That's, that's good. Jesus save, saves me. I'm going to heaven. But they ignore Him as Lord. But you know what? Not possible. Can't do it. God doesn't allow that possibility. He's Savior. He, as Savior, is the exalted Lord. We can't separate the two. And therefore, it's, it's foolishness to cl- claim salvation for your sins without submission to His reign in your life. Every knee will bow, Paul writes. The picture is of a a worshiper who cannot stand. They're forced down. They can't stand upright in His presence. Every single knee, heaven and earth and under the earth, not even exactly sure what that means, but every knee will bow. Every single person in all of history will bend a knee to Christ as the Lord. Some will bend a knee in joy. Jesus is Lord. Others will bend in shame. Jesus is Lord. But all will bend a knee. So, that's the picture of the child. What the child would become of Christ the Lord. The picture is of who He is, of what He's done, His nature, 100% God, 100% human. The perfect sacrifice. We've seen what He accomplished becoming our Savior. We've seen that God exalted Him as Lord over all. And so the question we, we have to ask ourselves is this. What will we do with this child? What will we do with Jesus Christ? What child is this in your life? 
Will you put your faith in Him, the perfect God-man? Will you put your faith in Him as the, your Lord and your Savior? There's no more important thing for us to do on this Christmas morning, really any day, than to not only see the picture of who this child is and celebrate that, but to ask ourselves, what is my relationship to this child? Do I revere, do I worship and honor Christ as my Lord and Savior? Do I love Him? Have I not only trusted Him to forgive me of my sins, to cover my sins with His sacrifice on the cross, but have I given Him the rule and the reign of my life? Do I go to Him on a daily basis? Lord, what should I do today? You're in charge. You can't do the first. I'm sorry. You can't do the first. Hey, Cover me. Take me to heaven with you without doing the second. Lord, I'm yours. We're bought with a price, Paul says. It's a package deal. Paul writes to the church in Rome that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Jesus is the Savior of those who confess Him as Lord. And that word confess means more than, than just words. It's not saying uh, by me standing up here and saying Jesus is my Lord. That's not what it means. Confess means with your life. Do I live as Jesus is my Lord? Do I follow Him? Do I obey Him? Do I trust in Him? It means our actions with our hand and feet say Jesus is the Lord of my life. At the very heart, it means to invite Christ to work in and through your life. That we might become more and more like Him. That's what it means to be a Christian. A Christ follower. A little Christ is what that means. To trust in and submit your life to Jesus Christ, allowing Him to transform you into His likeness. And it's my prayer that, that after seeing this picture of Christ, after answering the question, what child is this? That no one would leave this place without first giving their lives completely to Him, that He is your Lord, that He's the decision maker in your life. It's a cliche, but it's true. All God wants for Christmas is you, your life. Well, and and that's a lot, right? He wants you to live a life dedicated to Him and His purposes, your heart fully given over to Him. And for those who do this, there's an eternal prize, much better than any book or any movie, any Starbucks gift card, to those who trust in Jesus Christ as their Lord and their Savior. Jesus gives them the gift, the the prize. Paul talked about this prize he's striving for of himself, of knowing Him, of eternal life in His presence. So make this Christmas, maybe for some, a new beginning by giving your life to the child who became a man, who was God, to the child who is the Lord and Savior. Would you pray with me? Father God, I pray for myself and I pray for each person here that we would worship and honor you every day of our lives. Today, we remember your coming, Lord. I pray that each day we would remember why you came. You came to die in our place, Lord, and we would trust you and we would give ourselves to you. We would allow you to reign and rule in our lives as our Lord and Savior. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.